Let me say good morning again, and welcome to Throwback Sunday. Um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, how, how did we ever get along without PowerPoint and stuff? I, in the first century, surely they had PowerPoint, didn't they? I can't imagine that they weren't able to do things without it at the time. But it's good that we're here this morning. I'm glad that we're kind of back in the normal routine of things. Camp sessions are over. School's back in session. And some semblance of normalcy, I think, is set back in for the church. And so I think that's good. Let's pray together as we begin our lesson today. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for the way that you have blessed us so richly. Father, we especially thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we want to be people who can in some way grasp the love that motivated the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, in some way to be able to grasp how much you love us, Father, and how much Jesus loves us in order to make that sacrifice. And Father, our prayer is that we will be people who love you in return, that as we grasp how much you love us, Father, our love will grow, it'll grow in every direction possible. And Father, we pray that other people will be able to see the love that we have for you, and they will be drawn to you because of that love. Father, our desire is that many people around us will be drawn to you as a result of what's done in this place, in this family. And Father, we pray this through your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, our Outreach Sunday is only three weeks away. It's on September the 14th, and I'm very much looking forward to that Sunday, and I hope that you are too. And I want to encourage all of you to be prayerfully considering who you can invite on that Sunday, what family and friends and neighbors you can invite to join us on that Sunday as we worship God together. And I also want to encourage all of you to be praying about that day itself and consider how you can help us put a real but very good foot forward so that people will see that we are people who love each other and love God. We don't want to be engaged in something a bait and switch. We don't want to appear to be something that we're not, but we do want to put our very best foot forward on that day. So we want to ensure that we do everything we can, that everybody that shows up here will feel like they are very welcome guests of us on that day. But we also need to remember that taking those steps are good and important, but they are not the most important thing. What is most important on that Sunday is the same thing that's most important on every Sunday. We need to remember that that Sunday's not about us. That Sunday is about our God. And that Sunday is about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that we can do all the preparation in the world to appear friendly and to appear welcoming. But all that preparation will be in vain if we aren't revealed to our guest as disciples of Jesus Christ. Our preparations and efforts will be useless unless others can see that we are truly a group of people who love God with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds. And there's no point at all in inviting others to join us unless they can see that we're truly a group of people who love each other as we love ourselves. We don't seek to bring friends and family into our midst so they will be attracted to us. No, we seek to bring them into our midst so they will see our God, the God who we worship, so that they will see that we love and worship the Lord, our God, with every fiber of our beings, and so that they will be attracted not to us, but to our God. We don't seek to bring friends and family into our midst 
so they'll be drawn to us. We seek to bring friends and family to our midst so they'll see Jesus Christ at work in us. And they'll be drawn to his love that they see overflowing from us. So before we spend any more time talking about reaching out to the community around us, I want us to spend this week and next week reminding us of who we are and what we're called to be. I want to remind us that before we reach out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, we need to make sure that we're constantly reaching up to know God and to love God. And we need to make sure that we're constantly reaching in to build a body here at Netherwood Park that reflects the character, the nature of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about reaching up to know God. And then next Sunday we'll talk about reaching in to build the body here at Netherwood Park. And then finally in two weeks before our outreach Sunday, we'll talk about reaching out to those who are around us. As we talk about reaching up to know God, I want to start off with a warning. And that warning is that we must avoid the common trap of substituting knowing about God for knowing God. We can't substitute knowing about God for knowing God. To illustrate, let me give you some facts, some facts about myself. My name is Joseph Walter Lane. My date of birth is September 14, 1959. My place of birth was Alamogordo, New Mexico. My parents are Wesley Harvey Lane and Wilma Joe Lane. My siblings are Warren Harvey Lane and Wendell Byron Lane. My wife is Kathleen Real Lane. My children are Jonathan Wesley Lane, Joseph Zachary Lane, and Jessica Marie Lane. My daughter-in-law is Alyssa Ruffin Lane. My hobbies include hunting, fishing, cycling, running, and reading. Kind of sounds like an obituary, but that's, that's not what it is, I hope. Um, those are some facts about me. And now that you know those facts, you know me, right? Well, we know that's not true. We know that we can't substitute knowing facts about somebody for actually knowing someone. Those facts might give you some insight into me. They might help you come to know me, but they don't let you know me. That comes through relationship. And when it comes to our God, we can easily fall into that same trap where we substitute biblical knowledge about God for actually knowing God, for having a relationship with God. It's the same trap that many of the first century Pharisees and teachers of the law fell into. And it's a trap that we need to be careful not to fall into today. If you'll remember, Jesus didn't say the greatest command, the greatest commandment was to know about God with all of your mind. That's not what he said. What he said was the greatest command is to love, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind. Not know, but love. That's relationship language. That's not academic language. And one of the remarkable things about our God is that he is a God who is not only all-knowing, which is what we would expect from a God. We expect gods to be all-knowing. But he's a God who wants to be known, not something that we would expect a God to behave, to want, is to be known. Our God doesn't hide behind a curtain. 
Our God doesn't try to enhance his mystery by hiding somewhere away from us. Our God doesn't seek to remove himself from his people to highlight his superiority over those people. Our God actually seeks to be known. And our God reveals himself to us through the story of his interactions with his people over time, over centuries. And he does that because he wants to be known. Our God chose to create mankind in order to have relationship with his created beings, in order to know and to be known. Our God never intended for that relationship to be superficial, nor did he intend for that relationship to be one-sided. Now, God's desire is for a deep and intimate relationship with his people, a relationship where his great love for them is reciprocated with great love in return for him. In fact, I will maintain that we can read and understand the Bible as a troubled love story, a troubled love story between God, who we can see as the unconditionally faithful husband, a love story between that faithful husband, God, and mankind, the continually wandering and unfaithful wife. If you're at all familiar with the little book of Hosea, it's about Hosea and his wife, Gomer, and it's a microcosm of God's relationship with his people over time. And in that story and throughout the Bible, we see that our God wants to be known by his people like a good husband, a good and faithful and loving husband wants to be known by his wife. And like any marriage relationship, God not only wants to be known, God wants to be loved. And interestingly enough, biblically, those two things just can't be separated. Knowing and loving can't be separated. To know God can't be separated from loving God. Knowing God and loving God. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. I'll start reading with verse 7. 1 John 4 and verse 7. John writes these words. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Then if we jump down to verse 19, John writes this. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God also must love his brother. So how does one come to love God? We come to love God by knowing God. Because once God is known as who he really is, love follows from us. Once he is known as the source of all love, love follows from us. 
If we truly know God as love, if we know Him as the source of all love, the love that He has extended to us through His Son naturally flows back to Him from us. Truly, to know God is to love God. But it's also true that to love God is to know God. Not only will we love Him if we know Him, we also know Him when we love Him. It's when we return His love that we know that we know Him. It's when we return His love that others know that we know Him. And that relationship seems fairly straightforward. It goes something like this. God knows me intimately. God knows me intimately, and in spite of that, He loves me. And I know God, and because of that, because of that, I love Him in return. But unfortunately, maybe, John didn't stop there. See, John brought a bunch of other people into that relationship. He brings all the rest of you into that relationship between me and God. And he makes it very clear that true love for God will also be seen in true love for you. True love for my brothers and true love for my sisters. And so just like we can't separate knowing God from loving God, we also can't separate loving God from loving each other. It goes something like this. Because our God loves us deeply and faithfully and sacrificially, we reciprocate. We return his love deeply and faithfully and sacrificially. But it doesn't stop there. Also, because, we, because our God loves others deeply and faithfully and sacrificially, we follow our God's example by loving others deeply and faithfully and sacrificially. And as we all know, this is most beautifully and most clearly seen and understood in Jesus' story. See, Jesus' story is the story of a God acting out of love for mankind. And he does that by sending his only son into this world that we all might have life through his son, through Jesus Christ. See, our God, our God who wants to be known by us, revealed himself completely to us and demonstrated his deep and faithful and sacrificial life through Jesus Christ. We can't separate the two. Jesus' story is God's story. Jesus' love is God's love. Jesus' sacrifice is God's sacrifice. And knowing God can't be separated from knowing Jesus. When we know God, we know Jesus. And when we know Jesus, we know God. You probably all remember this interaction between Jesus and Thomas. It's recorded in John chapter 14 and verse 5 the scripture that was read earlier. Let's read it again. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen 
the Father. And that's why Jesus is central to everything we say, and Jesus is central to everything that we do. Because it's through Jesus that God is fully revealed so we can know him. It's through Jesus that God is fully revealed so that we can love him. So we can love him deeply and faithfully and sacrificially. See, we all understand that we can't love what we don't know. And through Jesus, we're able to know and to love our God. And isn't that all of our desire? All of our desire here this morning, we all desire to love God like he has loved us. And our desire is to love each other like God has loved us. But if you're like me, it may be difficult for you to really comprehend the magnitude of God's love for us. To really understand the magnitude of God's love for us. I'm often struck by Paul's words in the third chapter of Ephesians as he prayed that the Christians in Ephesus would be able to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And I want you to know that's been my constant prayer all this week. My prayer to God has been, God, help me to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is Christ's love for me. And that's my prayer because I'm finding that as I begin to grasp the width and the length and the height and the depth of Jesus' love, I also begin to add width and length and height and depth to my love for God. And that's also my prayer because I know that my love for God is just a shadow of what I want it to be. See, I'm convinced that when the Bible talks about loving God, it speaks to a level of intimacy that we usually reserve for the marriage relationship. See, I'm convinced that when the Bible talks about loving God, it speaks to a level of passion that we're only comfortable talking about in marriage relationships, if then. It speaks of a level of intimacy that I know I haven't yet grasped. I can't yet hang on to. I think about David. And sometimes I wonder how we can talk about David as a man after God's own heart when he failed God so spectacularly. And he did. But I want you to listen to these words that David wrote about God because it helps me understand how David can be described as a man after God's own heart. Psalm 63 opens this way. David writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadows of your wings. My soul clings to you. And your right hand upholds me. I think that's why David can be described 
as a man after God's own heart. Not because he always did what was right, but because he loved right. David loved God with width and length and height and depth. He was a man after God's own heart because he loved God in the same way that God loves And I look at those words, those are words that maybe I could write to Kathy if I was a poet like David, which I'm not. Words of passion and words of longing and words of intimacy. And it humbles me to know that David had that same type of passion, that same type of longing and that same type of intimacy, both for God and with God. So my prayer is that I can grasp the width and the depth and the length and the height of God's love. And my prayer is that so that I can, in in return, love God like David loved God, so that I, too, can be fairly described as a man after God's own heart. And I also want to love God like Paul loved God. You know, Paul has never been accused of being a poet like David. That's not his gift. So when Paul expresses his love for God, he chooses to express the width and the depth and the height of his love, I missed one in there, for God in a very different and very graphic way. Philippians 3, 7, Paul writes this. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. So I also pray that God will help me grasp the width and height and length and depth of Jesus' love so I can have a longing for an intimate relationship with God that mirrors Paul's longing, a longing that will allow me to say, like Paul said, that nothing else even matters. That I'll be able to say, like Paul says, that literally everything else in this life to me is as rubbish, as trash, as refuse, as sewage. Everything else is like rubbish compared to my relationship with God. So may God help me, and may God help all of us to reach up to know God, And to be able to grasp the width and the depth and the height and the length of his love. And may we all respond with David's passion. And may we also respond with Paul's fierce understanding of God's incomparable value. And may we understand that so we can add width and length and height and depth to our love for God. I want to learn to know God. And I want to learn to love God. And I want to learn that deeply and passionately and intimately. And I'm convinced that that's the beginning point for any relationship that true disciples of Jesus 
will have with their God. And I believe that the beginning point for all of us is right here. It's in my grasp. The beginning point is in God's story. It's in his word. It's in the Bible. I want us to be reminded that it's here that God reveals himself as a God who loves his people with dimensions that simply don't make any rational sense. See, God loves his people longer than makes sense. God loves his people deeper than makes any sense. If this book was a fictional love story, we'd say that the hero in this story is just too good to be true. The hero of this story is too faithful to be true, is too patient to be true, is too forgiving to be true. But I stand before you today to tell you it is true. And when we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, learn God's story, and when we learn to love God's story, it's then that we begin to grasp the dimensions of his love. It's then that our love begins to grow, to look more like his love for his people. And we, as Christians, who wear that name Christian, who wear the name of Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to especially know and love Jesus' story. Because Jesus' story is the ultimate story of God's love for mankind. It's the ultimate proof of God's love for mankind. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Because in Jesus' story, we can begin to grasp that God's love is personal. It's at the cross that we can begin to grasp that God reached down to us to show that he loves me, to show that he loves you, to show that he loves us. It was love for me, and it was love for you, and it was love for us that sent Jesus to the cross. And as we learn to know Jesus, as we learn to love his story, it's then that our love can begin to grow to look like Jesus' love for us. And finally, I believe that it's here in the church that we learn to know and love God. And we learn to know and love God by knowing and loving God's people. It's here in the body of Christ that we learn to love each other with dimensions that simply don't make any sense to the world that's around us. It's here in the body of Christ. It's here that we learn to follow in the steps of Jesus by being people that the world around us will view as too faithful to each other to be true. Be viewed by the world around us as people who are too patient with each other to be true. We'll be people who'll be viewed by the world around us as being too forgiving of each other to be true. But it will be true. And it is True, because we, as followers of Jesus Christ, reach up to know and love the God who reaches down to know and love us. So in the last few minutes that we have together, I'm going to ask you to commit to doing a few things. I'm going to commit to ask you to do some homework, because school is back in session. So over the next three weeks, I'm going to ask you to do a few things. You'll find these on your outline. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is find a quiet place and find a quiet moment and identify and write down the rubbish in your life. 
By rubbish, I mean everything that you value highly enough to interfere with having a love for God that has great width and great depth and great length and great height. I don't know what those things are for you. They may be relationships. They may be objects. They may be hobbies. They may be jobs. They may be positions that you hold. Whatever they are, write those down and identify them as rubbish that needs to be thrown out of your life. And hang on to that list. We'll talk more about it in the coming weeks. Second thing that I want to ask you to do over the next three weeks is to make a commitment to fully immerse yourself in Jesus' story. Fully immerse yourself in your master's story. So over the next three weeks, I'm going to ask you to read the Gospels. Read the Gospels from beginning to end, preferably at one sitting. So on this sheet, I want you to make a commitment to yourself and make a commitment to God to read the entire Gospel of Matthew some number of times over the next three weeks. That may be one, that may be ten. I don't know what the number is, but make that commitment to yourself and to God that you will read the Gospel of Matthew from beginning to end at least once over the next three weeks. And then I want you to do the same thing for the Gospel of Mark. And then do the same thing for the Gospel of Luke. And then do the same thing for the Gospel of John. Over the next three weeks, I want us to be people who are deeply immersed in the story of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then finally, I'm going to ask you to do this over the next three weeks. I want to ask every one of you to diligently and daily pray for those guests who God is already preparing to send our way on September the 14th. And I want you to pray specifically that here at this place, here at Netherwood, they'll find a group of Jesus' disciples who love God with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind. And also I want you to specifically pray that here they'll find a group of Jesus' disciples who love each other like they love themselves. As we close, I want to lead us in a prayer about what we're looking forward to in three weeks. Let's pray together. Father, we want to know you with a width and a height and length and depth that we've never before experienced. And Father, our prayer is that you will send people our way that will see and experience and share that passion for a relationship with you that we have. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're here today, and we can help you in your desire to know God and love God, to know the God who loves you beyond all measure, beyond all sense, won't you let us know about your desire to have that love, have that relationship with God? You can let us know in a couple of different ways. We're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song together. You can walk to the front and let us know what your needs are. Or if you're more comfortable doing so, you can walk to the back to room 104 and there's a couple of men, a couple of our elders who are in there who would love to talk to you about their God and their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But whatever your needs are, won't you let us know while we stand up and we sing this song together.